Well, good morning, Twin Cities, and Happy New Year. So let's talk about New Year's resolutions. Let's just get that out in the open. I know it's pretty cliche to start the first sermon of the year talking about New Year's resolutions, but this is my third Sunday, first Sunday of the year I've spoken. So the last three years, and I haven't spoken about them yet. So be patient, hang in there with me, and let's see where this goes today. Here they are. Top 10 New Year's resolutions for 2014, according to statisticbrain.com. So see if any of these were yours. Lose weight. Get organized. We know Ron did that recently in the office. Spend less, save more. Enjoy life to the fullest. I like that. Stay fit and healthy. Learn something exciting. Quit smoking. Help others in their dreams. Fall in love. I don't know how you make that a goal, but that's all right. And spend more time with family. Top 10. You know, that's a really nice list, isn't it? There's some really good things on there that would help a person to change and to improve and have a better life. Were those some of yours last year? Well, here's some more. Here's some more. And this is also from Statistic Brain, but I want to involve you on some of these. So by a show of hands, how many of you usually make a New Year's resolution? Usually. Come on, get them up. Be proud. Okay, good. According to Statistic Brain, percent of Americans who usually make a New Year's resolution, 45%. We were a little low in here, 45%. Okay, by a show of hands, how many of you infrequently or occasionally make a New Year's resolution? Come on, get them up. Okay, wow, that was a lot. According to Statistic Brain, only 17% do that. So we flipped those a little bit. And then how about this one? Ready? Raise them high now. By a show of hands, how many of you absolutely never make a New Year's resolution? All right. According to the statistics, 38% of Americans never make a New Year's resolution. Here's a few more stats from Statistic Brain. Percent of people who are successful in achieving their resolution. So think about that. Percent of people who are successful in achieving their, their resolution. 8%. 8%. Percent who have infrequent success. So it, something happens and it works in their favor. 49%. So half the people that make them, they have a little bit of success in doing that. And the percent who never succeed and fail on their resolution every year, 24%. So 24%. Well, here's the thing. I like the new year. I really do. I don't know why. It's this do-over time. It's this time when we can really get up, get going, do something better, uh, make a change, and expect that a great year could be ahead of me. I like this idea. It's an encouragement for me, and hopefully for you, to take a look at your life, to actually examine it, and then to be able to make positive changes accordingly. Well, our scriptures today are from the Apostle Paul. And the first thing that he is going to do is encourage us in this new year. So if you follow along in your message notes, that's the first E, encourage. Write in encourage. This is Philippians 2.12, and it says this. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. 
obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Paul is encouraging his friends in their new walk of faith, especially since he cannot physically be with them. He's sending them this letter to encourage them. He's trying to inspire them to work hard in the things that they do know how to do to be a believer in Jesus. The New International Version uses this phrase, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Many of you know that one. And when I, when I think of this phrase, work out, to work out something, uh, two pictures come to my mind. The first is of a young couple, and they're, they're in trouble. They're in trouble in their relationship. They're struggling, and something has to give. And so they might say something like, we have some things to work out. We have some things to work out in our relationship. In other words, we're going to try and like hash some things out, and then we'll see if we stick together or if we go our own separate ways. I don't think this is how it's used in this scripture. That'd be like saying, well, you know what? I asked Jesus to come into my life, but I'm not, I'm not really sure I'm saved. So I need to work some things out, and then I'll see if I really am. No, not at all, my friends. When you give your life to Jesus, it's a done deal. You are saved. He restores you to a right relationship with God, and he opens up the doors to eternity with him. So the second picture I have when I hear this phrase, workout, is going to the gym. Going to the gym. The membership is already paid for. You just have to show. You have to show the results of that membership. So all you need to do is show up at the facility, hit the weights, exercise, get some cardio, keep an eye on your diet, and you will improve your physical health. Do you see the parallel with our faith? Do you see the parallel with our faith? When you accept Jesus into your heart, guess what? You now have the membership. You're in. You just need to start acting like you do. So showing up for church, fellowshipping with other believers, reading and praying, and guess what? Your, you will improve in your walk of faith each day. The Greek word that Paul actually uses here simply implies that you do something and you see the result of your work. You do something and you see a result because of that. And that phrase, you know, that phrase, deep reverence and fear, or NIV, fear and trembling. That's a tricky part. The more I read about that, that's just a tricky part of that verse. But I found this one commentary I thought made it pretty simple. It simply said this. Such seriousness is appropriate to the talk of living out their commitment to the gospel in a way that demonstrates that they are genuine believers. Living out in a way that demonstrates you actually believe in Jesus. In my words, I said it this way. We should take our faith very, very seriously and do everything we can to improve our walk with Christ. I also read this about fear and trembling. It's used to describe the anxiety of one who distrusts, distrusts his ability completely to meet all the requirements, but religiously does his utmost to continue to fulfill his duty. Interesting. So, so I think I can recognize, we can recognize that this idea of, of working out our salvation, it's, it's a process, and it's a difficult process, and we can't do it on our own. That's what's clear. We can't do it on our own. But we remain faithful in daily trying to live 
like a follower of Jesus. The next scripture for today from the Apostle Paul will help us understand how to do this. It is Paul's example, the next E fill-in example from Philippians 3, 12 to 14. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on. Press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. The Apostle Paul says he's not perfect. He hasn't achieved these things. He hasn't achieved these things. What things? What things is he talking about? Well, if you go back and you read up above in verses 8 through 11, he's going to share what the NIV calls his goals. His goals. And are these things. It says he wants to discard everything else and count it as garbage. He says up above that he wants to become one with Jesus. He says he wants to know Christ completely. And he also says he wants to experience God's mighty power that raised him from the dead. But Paul recognizes that he's not perfect. He knows that life is a journey and there is still much, much, much more for him to go and for him to do along the way. He still has some work to do. Paul's words about pressing on or receiving the prize, if you read about this, it's about the world of war and athletics. And when you think about New Year's resolutions, how many of you would say, and you don't have to show your hands on this one just in case you're you know, one of the percent that don't ever do anything about this, but how many of you would say that one of your resolutions, your goals, is to work out, to press on, whether it's in running, hitting the gym, walking, some sort of exercise, many of you probably have that as a goal for the new year. Well, as Dave Bolin and Les and Ron and I and some of my other cycling friends know, I needed to get back on the bike. I needed to get back on the bike. I did go for a ride January 1st, 15 miles in 40 degree weather. So I've got a start once again. Well, last year, I actually started strong as well. I started great. And I rode January, February, March, April. And then when I went on my Honduras trip, and I shared that story with you guys last time, when I came home, I just didn't want to do anything. And I did not. I, here's the mistake I made. I hung my bike up in the garage. It's normally in the way. I got it out of the way. And once I hung it up, I did not pull that bike off again till January 1st. Didn't pull it off. Well, you know, sometimes we need to forget about a bad last year, and we need to start new. Renewed effort, renewed vigor, determination to do even better this year. And that's my goal on my bicycle. But, but this is also what Paul is encouraging us to do when he says this. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Paul is saying, don't let those past failures bog you down. For the apostle Paul, it may have been the fact that he was, you know, in a former life persecuting Christians in the church. He's saying, don't let your past bog you down so that you can't move on. 
But interesting, he's also saying, don't let your past victories get in the way either. Don't think that you've arrived and you don't have anything else to work on. Don't let your past failures bog you down, but also don't let your past victories sidetrack you or make you think that you are now done. There's there's no resting on your laurels in the Christian faith. We must consistently push ahead to know Christ more every day. Paul says we strive to possess, or I like a version that says take hold of. We, we, we strive to take hold of our faith the very best we can. And the scripture tells us why we do that. Because God first took hold or possessed us. Paul had a dramatic encounter with God on the Damascus Road. And that changed his life forever. For me, my life was changed in the very same way as Paul's. And it was when I was a 16-year-old boy and I gave my life to Christ. What about you? What about you? Have you encountered God personally? Have you given your life to Christ forever? Has he taken hold of you? Are you even on this journey that Paul is talking about? If you have, if you've given your life to Christ, I want you to take a moment and just reflect on that. Just, just for a moment, just think about that. When was it? Where were you? What thoughts were going through your head at that time? For me, it is such a positive memory and time of my life when I yielded everything to Jesus. Just think about that for a second. Have you been able to follow through with your commitment to this very day? Now, if you've never made a commitment to following Jesus, guess what? Now is the time. Now is the time. What a better way to start a new year than with Jesus at your side. You can let God take hold of you with a simple prayer. A simple prayer saying you realize that you're not perfect, that you need his help each day, and that you will dedicate your life to him forever. From this day forward, you'll begin to follow him. I'm going to actually give some people that opportunity to do that later on in the service. So how do we get there? How do we reach this goal of fully immersing our lives in Christ? I'm with Paul on this one. I have not arrived yet. I have not arrived yet. Certainly there are days. There are days when I feel like I'm a true believer. When I'm walking with Jesus at my side, when I'm I'm doing the things that I know I need to do in my faith. But if I'm honest with myself, and I'm honest with you, there are days, times, seasons, that I fail miserably at being a Christian. Just fail miserably. And I don't want to pray necessarily. Don't take the time to read the Bible. There are some times I I don't even want to come to church. And, And Paul's example, his example of not being perfect, that's a comfort to me. 
That is a comfort to me. Yet, I, like Paul, don't stay there. Don't let my past bog me down. I need to press on. I need to start fresh this year and pursue my relationship with Jesus even more than I have in the past. Paul knows that he's not achieved perfection. In fact, in the book of Timothy, he refers to himself as the chief of sinners, the chief of sinners. So let me give you a little note on sin. According to Romans, we know that we have all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. According to 1 John, it says if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. And again, in the Lord's Prayer, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus, Jesus himself instructs us to pray for forgiveness for those things that we've done wrong that separate us from God. So the Bible never assumes we're going to be anything but imperfect until Jesus comes back for us again. But we have been possessed, taken hold of by God. We've been shown mercy and grace, and therefore we need to start living like we believe this for our very lives. Well, our new series is called Engage, a third E-word, Engage. And the definition of engage is this, to participate in or become, to participate or become involved in, to do or take part in something, to give yourself fully to something Well, to illustrate engage, I'm going to tell you an engagement story. And this is of my daughter, Anna, and her fiancé, Nolan. Getting choked up already. Nolan and Anna met when they were in Australia on a semester abroad. Now, we had threatened our daughter when she was leaving for Australia. We said, do not meet or fall in love with anyone from Australia. So she didn't. She met a boy from Jersey. (laughs) So they come back, uh, Nolan in New Jersey and Anna back to California, and they begin to to build on to this friendship. They started dating about a year ago when Nolan called and asked me permission to date my daughter. Pretty cool move, young men. Make sure you do that one. (laughs) But at some point, at some point over the year, Nolan made a decision to commit his life to my daughter forever. He made this secret plan, and he flew out here from New Jersey. Everyone knew about this, except Anna, of course. And so on the big day, her friend said, uh, set up a thing where she was going to take her to a surprise dinner. So they blindfolded my daughter, and they put her in a car, but instead of driving to a restaurant, they drove up to our house. And they park the car, and they they begin to walk in. Anna, still blindfolded, being led by her friends across our living room, across to where Nolan was standing. He was standing, and and I'm here, and my wife is here. And, and, And as Anna walked across the room, still blindfolded, her friends and family and mentors all filled in behind her. So when she she gets here, Nolan reaches to, to take off the blindfold. And I have my guitar and I begin to strum. And Nolan starts singing. Wise men say, only fools rush in. But I can't help falling in love with you. 
Twice during this time, Anna just collapses completely. He holds her up. He keeps singing. And at one point, the entire chorus starts singing as well. Anna hardly even noticed we were here. She didn't even know there were people back there. And I can't help falling in love with you. At the end, Nolan got down on his knee. And our little three-year-old granddaughter brought over the ring in a box. And he asked my daughter, will you marry me? And of course, she said yes. And we had a huge party. They are at this very moment driving cross-country. Nolan has packed up everything he owns into a little car. And he has left the only home he's ever known because he's engaged. He's committed in a relationship. And they left Norman, Oklahoma this morning for you guys. And they're on their way to Phoenix and then San Diego and eventually to Auburn where he'll start his new life and they'll be married in May. Guess what? Nolan, he's all in. He is all in on this. He has made a commitment to go forward. He has said, I will do anything it takes to make sure now that I'm engaged that this relationship works. That's the same for us in our faith, isn't it? That's the same for us in our faith. When you engage in your faith, you're saying, I'm all in. I'm committed. I am engaged. I'm going to do everything I can to make my relationship with Jesus work now and forever into the future. Wow. So let me give you just a few practical ways that you can engage in your faith. The first is to build a toolbox. To build a toolbox. I remember as a first-time home buyer, I knew nothing about home repairs. I'm still not that good at it. But I had a friend who could fix anything. So when something broke, I simply called Mike. Mike, come on over. So Mike would show up, and uh, he impressed upon me two things that were of the utmost importance. The first was having a toolbox with the right kind of tools. So Mike would show up, and I'd be struggling with something, say, electrical. And he'd say, where are your wire cutters? And I'd go, I don't have any wire cutters. We would get in my car. We'd drive down to Orchard Supply Hardware. I would buy some wire cutters. I would come home, and we would complete the job. And we did this over and over again. And Mike helped me build a good toolbox so that I would be better at what I needed to do. This is exactly what our church is trying to do as well. We want to help you build a toolbox for engaging in your faith development. We provide you with times for worship and teaching here on Sundays. We offer opportunities for small group connection with other believers. Our church is masterful at helping you find places to serve, whether it's within our own facility or somewhere out in the community. We encourage you to pray Ron's going to be giving us our prayer for the year next year. And there's so many other things that we do that help you fill up your toolbox in order that you can live a good life dedicated to Jesus. Another practical way to engage in your faith is to follow the instructions. Follow the instructions. When my friend and my, uh, Mike and I were working on a project, I would have parts and pieces spread out all over the floor. And he'd look at me and he goes, where are the instructions? Now, as a guy, I found this somewhat insulting until I realized how profound instructions can actually be if you use them. 
My wife and I are redoing a room. We went down to Ikea a while back. A little scary. We brought home seven boxes of boards, metal rails, bags and bags and bags of screws and bolts and things I'd never see before. I officially freaked out. It took opening two boxes to even find the instructions. And I opened them up. And the first thing I see, there's a little smiley man in here. I wanted to be a smiley man. And he's smiling because it shows he's got all the tools. He's got a toolbox. He's got the right tools. And he's smiling because he's following the instructions. And I said, I want to be that smiling guy. So I laid these down and I started slow. And I picked up one piece when I could figure out what it was and set it next to another piece and got some parts and a tool and put it together. And slowly by slowly, it began to shape into something. And after two full afternoons and two full evenings, I felt pretty proud to be standing in a bedroom with two new twin beds, a nightstand, and a dresser that I built, I put together. And I felt good about that. The other tool our church wants to provide for you is our instruction manual, the Bible. Now, we take time to teach from it uh, each week from up here, but we want to encourage you to read it for yourself. You know, the reality is my friend Mike wouldn't dare dishonor me by ripping the instructions from my hand and putting together something by himself. My friend Mike honored me by walking alongside with me, helping me to understand the instructions so that the next time I am more prepared, I am more ready to do what I need to do. Our church wants to honor you. We don't expect that the only time you're going to read or study your Bible is when you hear a a half-hour message from up here. We want to honor you by giving you the opportunity to read and study on your own throughout the week, daily if possible. So just just pick up your Bible. If you don't have one, there are ones in the lobby that that are yours. Take one home and begin begin to read and just to process what it is you're reading. If you need help with any of this, just just call the church. There's a whole lot of people around here who'd love to help you dive in more to the Word of God. But I I don't want to shortchange the Bible by calling it an instruction manual. Yeah, there there are issues in our life that we go through and we can pick up the Bible and we can find something that's going to help us uh, go in the appropriate direction for those issues. But the Bible is so much more. The Bible is our hope. It's God's story from the beginning of creation through the birth and death of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and right on into the ends of time, time that are not yet here, times we can only read about and hear, but someday we'll experience. So don't ever just read this as a a list of do's and don'ts. This is an overarching, powerful, redemptive story that has been given to us from God. I just wanted to make sure I said that. 
So how do we do all this? It can seem pretty overwhelming to try and put together a toolbox, read scripture, and live every day as we know we should. But the key to doing this is another E word, and it's the word empowerment. Empowerment. We already read Philippians 2.12. I'm going to read that again, but I'm going to throw 13 in there as well. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. A, a lot to do. It says this. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. I've been working hard to show the results of my salvation since I was 16. It's much harder than working for a physical employer because I'm trying to show some results to God. But I have something really, really important to share with you. Listen carefully. God doesn't work by results. God doesn't work by results. God does not care how many missions trips I've been on. He does not care how many sermons I've preached. God does not care in the sense of how many people I've led to the Lord. Oh, I believe he's pleased when I do those things. He is pleased that I'm doing what I can to follow him. But doing those things will never impress God or change his love for me. Whether I do them or not will not change God's love for me. I am saved from my sins, not because I'm good enough for God and not because I've done certain things, but because of my commitment to Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross for me. I work hard not to make sure I'm saved from my sins, but I work hard because I am saved from my sins and I want to honor God with my life. So when I read a scripture that says this, work hard to show the results of your salvation, I get confused. How can I do this if not by having a big list of check off? I did this. Look, I did that. I did this. Check, 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 check. The answer is one word. God. God. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and power to do what pleases him. So when I'm participating, when I'm becoming involved in church, when I'm engaged in a small group, when I'm giving to the church, reading the Bible, spending in the time in prayer, when I'm serving, God is at the same time giving me power to do those things which please him. This is how we show the results of our salvation. We let God possess. We let God take hold of us. And then we offer our lives fully to him. This is God's work. He will give us the desire and the power to do it. He'll empower us. God will enable us to do what we want to, to accomplish for him, as well as help strengthen our relationship with him. Check out Philippians 1.6. Philippians 1.6. I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, he began the work in us. He started this all. He will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. How comforting is that to know? 
Yes, we are often weak in our faith. We may struggle with temptation and sin in our lives. We will never reach perfection this side of heaven. But God is giving us the strength to live the life he has called us to live. It's his work. You guys know Philippians 4.13, right? It makes it clearer. For I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. Well, since I've done something I don't normally do, and I've used all E words, let me give you one more E word. And. (laughs) Should be your favorite. And. What's your goal? What's your goal? Are you ready to engage change this year? Do you want to work hard to show the results of your salvation? Are you ready to press on in striving to live a life worthy of being called a believer? Is your toolbox full enough to do this? Are you ready to take ownership of your faith, to read and study the Bible on your own? Do you want to fully engage in our church and your faith this year? Let me give you one more statistic I found interesting about New Year's resolutions. Ready? People who explicitly make resolutions are 10 times more likely to attain their goals than people who don't explicitly make resolutions. Call it what you want. Resolution, renewal, commitment. Now is the time to explicitly make a plan. To either start over this year, making your faith all it can be, or to continue on to strengthen the already strong commitment you have to living out your faith day by day. Remember, you can do it because that verse says it. God is working in you, giving you the desire and power to do what pleases him. Let me pray. If you've never given your life to Christ, then you want to start this year. Some of you may have come to church today as a resolution to start over and to to be in church. but, But you need to know the maker of the church. The maker of all this is Jesus. If you've never given your life to Christ, just, just silently pray this prayer. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. And I know that I need your help. I invite you, Jesus, into my life. My desire is to follow you each day. Give me the strength to do that. Amen. And for the rest of us, Lord, we are blessed to be here. To start our year with you. Lord, I know I need a redo. I need to be stronger and better and more faithful. May we, as a group of friends here, do this together. May we do it through our commitment to being here, our commitment to being part of a small group that that prays with us, holds our hands when we're crying, and laughs with us, and shares the joys of life with us. May we do it by taking ownership of our own faith, by praying daily and reading and 
processing and understanding what your word means for us. Thank you, Lord, that we know we can only do this because you give us the strength to do it. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.